0: Welcome in to AWA Unleashed. We are the number one self-proclaimed preeminent podcast that's dedicated to telling the stories and reliving the memories of the American Wrestling Association. My name is Chris Tubbs. I am the one that brings us in, but I am not the only one here. But uh, as you can see right now, we've gone from uh, six-man down to uh, just a, a regular tag today. Uh, Polish show. I don't know... where 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 Mick at is that what the kids say where Mick at
1: you know Mick uh, uh, took a nasty bump this past Saturday at a wrestling event follows that up with picking up a flu bug and uh, so uh, I I think he just I think he's back in the locker room just as uh, uh, didn't want to come out for this fight so uh, not that it's going to be a fight it's going to be a great deal (laughs) but uh, yeah Mick get better get well sooner the better uh we need you back on this podcast
0: so if this is like wrestling he's going to come out like halfway through all bandaged up and all of a sudden we're going to see the the camera come up we're gonna be oh my gosh is mick carton but no no it is the
1: world of professional wrestling so (laughs) anything can happen
0: yes it uh it can and for the next couple of weeks you guys we have got uh Let me say, just based on the pictures that I've seen, and you'll see those if you're watching this on YouTube, you are going to see some pictures that are going to bring back some memories and some stories that I am really looking forward to hearing from the two individuals that we've got. We've got a combo deal the next couple of weeks. I'm super excited. Uh, But before that, let's get to some business. You see right up there, you see the 7th Avenue Pizza uh, you see them. Thank you so much to uh, 7th Avenue Pizza and Matt and everybody there that uh, they do a great job. It's the official pizza of AWA Unleashed. Uh, check them out, 7thAvenuePizza.com. You can find it all over the Twin Cities. If you can't, hit me up on Twitter at CMTubs. Hit us up in the comments on YouTube or on uh, Facebook, and we'll make sure that we get you hooked up. But hey, You know, Joe, th- there were – I think it was the ones beyerleys in um, Edina, I want to say, but – Guess we're over in Edina, apparently, from what I've heard. Edina's going blue collar on us. I love uh, it. Well, I mean, I think there's still, there's still a lot of cake. There's still <laughs> a lot of cake. But, uh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm excited. So thank you guys for continuing to spread the word and associate us with the 7th Avenue Pizza as well. Uh, I do want to thank as well uh, Soda Stick because they are the official licensing partner. Can't believe it took me this long to say licensing part. I like that. That sounds good. The official licensing partner of AWA Unleashed, and uh, I mean, we go from hoodie season. Which, by the way, if you want your your hoodie with a personalized gimmick, as Mick would say, go to uh, sodastickco.com. Uh, AWA Unleashed. You can get a black and white T-shirt. Those, you know, now as we're getting into, as they say, a, a hot boy or a hot girl summer uh, we're, uh, you want to be looking pretty svelte. So we got t-shirts, we got all sorts of things. So I think we've, I think we took care of the business, right? Uh, we, we did, but one
1: other thing that we, uh, certainly need to mention, uh, by the time this is airing, it's going to be, uh, a couple of weeks since it's happened, but, um, yet another loss in, in, uh, the professional wrestling world. And that was, uh, One, Mr. Charlie Norris. Uh, Charlie um, uh, had had a good career in the business, well-respected Native American. Um, It it went too soon, went too soon. Uh, Was able to work with him uh, on a couple of occasions and had nothing but respect for him. And uh, he was a proud native um, and and, and stood strong for the Native American community.
0: Charlie, rest in peace. Ten ring bells.
1: Yeah.
0: So even though it's not in necessarily an AWA, um, you know, connection, the the upper Midwest, like people know Charlie Norris, and, and people had a chance to see him in the early 90s in WCW. Uh, I believe it was uh, Thunderbird Charlie Norris is, yeah. I believe, uh, what he went as. So. Uh, an unfortunate uh, another unfortunate loss in the, the world of professional wrestling and the upper Midwest. All right, let's uh, go ahead and, and transition because we've got a couple guys that are standing by and Joe, I, I, I think the AWA number one, I, I think it was really strong when it came to tag teams. You can just look up and down the history of the AWA and they had so many tag teams, but along with that, I think when we're talking about combinations, there were a lot of father and son combos. There were obviously the Ganyas. There were the headaches. Um, I'm not going to give well, any more. I'll even throw in the Lazowskis.
1: Crusher and his son, Larry Lazowski, who was a referee with the AWA.
0: Yes, but uh, today we are fortunate to have a uh, – these guys – people have been asking for these guys for a while, and I'm glad we were finally – able to make it go, Joe.
1: Well, I, I am honored and privileged to introduce these two. Um, one gentleman preceded me as the producer of the AWA. In fact, he was there from the very beginning. And there he is, <laughs> Mr. Al Derusha, and his son, Gary Derusha, long Good time. Good morning. AWA referee. How are you guys doing? Doing well, thank you. Very good. Hey, you know, we, we've got time, but time is also precious. So I really want to get right into asking these questions. And, and Al, uh, I had brought up that you were with the AWA from the very beginning when you were working at WTCN. But before we get into the wrestling, let's tell people about how you got started in television production. Well, I was a senior
2: uh, <clears throat> in high school, on Humboldt High School in St. Paul, and uh, they had a senior work program where you would uh, go to school in the morning and then in the afternoon you would uh, go on a job, so to speak, for on-the-job training. And I, uh, you would uh, work two, three months uh and then uh, go back down to the bottom of the list, if you will, until every student had their job. Then you'd go back, and they'd assign you to another job. And in 1953, in uh, September, the uh, work program teacher... uh, um, was going to uh, give uh, the next job up which was at the tv station at that time channel 11 w-m-i-n in the ham building in st paul and uh, fortunately enough for me the student didn't have a driver's license so um, they uh, said al do you have a driver's license and i said i sure do well I'll go over to the ham building uh uh and uh they'll hire you I went there they hired me for as a office boy and driving a station wagon picking up props and that kind of thing and then uh the producer for the uh television station lloyd balkon said uh would you like to work on the weekends uh, in the studio setting up lights and props and uh, what have you? And I said, Yeah, sure. So that um, eventually uh, uh, worked into a full time uh, floor director and from there, uh, a producer, uh, director, um, a staff director. And I did a lot of uh, high school sports, uh, basketball, hockey, with Frank Butel and um, the um, uh, Lou Nanny, Mr. Hockey. Anyway, uh, in 1961, the OA or AWA uh, came to uh, Channel 11, and they asked me to... uh, uh, direct the program I did that was in 1961, and in 19 what uh, 73, I joined the AWA office full time, and I did uh, uh, ring announcing and refereeing, and not as much refereeing as my son <laughs> uh, <laughs> Gary. <clears throat> but I did uh, do a lot of refereeing, and uh, that's really how I got into it. I was very blessed to uh, move on, and uh, it uh, was a great career. And uh, there isn't anything that I would have loved to have done uh, any better than w- uh, be with the AWA. Well,
1: I got to mention one show that, uh, especially here in the Twin Cities in Minnesota, that uh, growing up, I watched all the time, and anybody that grew up in the '60s and '70s watched it. And that was the Casey Jones Show with Roundhouse Rodney, and I, I just absolutely loved it. One thing that I did miss on Al's introduction—more not miss so much as we had a, you know, we wanted to bring you guys in. But Al is was inducted into the Minnesota Broadcasting Hall of Fame. You heard briefly about his career. You throw in Casey Jones and of course the AWA. And I was truly honored that you asked me to be there that night. Uh, Gary was there, fantastic night. And it's why we're here today. It's why, Al, you're here today, and Gary, you're here today. Your career, Al, Phenomenal, well-deserved induction into the Minnesota Broadcasting Hall of Fame. But we're here to talk about the AWA, and so Chris, I know you've got a question about uh, uh, two of the big guys in the AWA that you'd like to hear some stories from from alabama All
0: right, I mean, I'm already just like I, I'm, I'm loving this already. We're like five minutes in, and I'm already just like. You know, because I'm talking to Elder Rush. I mean, come on. This is I mean, he's he's a legend. Uh I want to ask you, Al, uh, when you know, when you got the call to work with the AWA, like what was your relationship like with Vern and Wally? Well, uh, you know, I worked a lot with Vern
2: uh, uh before I went into the office. And, uh, you know, Vern really, uh, as Joel knows, uh, was at every uh, taping session when we did the uh, uh, taped wrestling. Uh, Marty O'Neill did the uh, local uh, play by play, if you will, and Roger Kent later on did the uh, network. We were, um, a lot of fans think that uh, maybe uh, All Star Wrestling was a uh, local uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul type uh, wrestling show, but actually uh, through Vern's efforts, uh, we had a whole network. We were in about uh, 22 major markets, uh, Winnipeg, Chicago, Milwaukee, Denver, uh, you name it, and the AWA uh, was... um, you know, uh, looked like local. What we did was leave a two-minute break in each one of the video tapes that we sent to the various markets, and then the local promoter uh, would go on to the studio and do a two-minute uh, interview, and they would cut it into the tape. So if you're in Denver, you think it's Denver wrestling. Anyway, Vern uh, was uh, in the Olympics in 1948, and that's when he met Mad Dog Vachon. Uh, and uh, Mad Dog was in the Olympics at the same time with uh, Vern. And uh, Vern was on uh, Chicago uh, Dumont Network back in 48, 49 and he of course had the experience of, uh, of um, wrestling he knew it uh, he was a master at uh, putting together uh, matches and uh, Vern uh, at the time back in the 60s uh, 70s, 80s the AWA was Um, the number one wrestling promotion in the country and Vern was a task master if you will Uh, he he insisted on perfection Perfection. and sometimes you would get a little carried away with uh, the announcer and referee and you had to do it Vern's way or you wouldn't do it at all, really. And uh, but Vernon started it all. But when he bought the AWA franchise in Minneapolis from Tony Stecker, guess who was the man that was with Tony Stecker? Was Uncle Wally Wally Carmel?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah.
2: yeah, Dan. He. Uh, he was the buffer uh, between Vern and the wrestlers, and the wrestlers would uh, you know like everything else complain about not enough money and the payoffs weren't all that great and they uh, would go to Wally and Wally would do a little clever figuring out and got him some more money and uh, Wally would say, "Well, it's not me; it's the other guy you talked to him." <laughs> uh, Wally, I couldn't, I can't say enough about him. You, uh, he was a character. Uh, I, I've got a list of some of the Wallyisms that the boys we all called it isms and uh, he. Um, uh, he was. I don't want to say. If I tell some of the Wallyisms, you're going to think, "Oh my gosh!" You know, uh, not very intelligent. But Wally was so passionate. He was so into the wrestling; it was his whole life. And uh, uh, he, um, uh, you know, you know, he's Polish. God love him. Great. <laughs> And uh, they ha- we were doing interviews with uh, Ivan Putsky, and Marty would say, "Well, wrestling fans, we're gonna call Ivan Putsky in here," and he said, uh, "Unfortunately, or fortunately, uh, he's from uh, Krakow, Poland, and speaks no English." So Marty says, "But we're in luck. We got Wally Carbo who speaks fluent." Polish. So Wally comes in, and uh, Marty says, "Wally, uh, let's ask uh, Ivan uh, how much do you weigh." And uh, Wally, <laughs> um, um, uh, "How much are you weigh?" <laughs> <laughs> and that, <laughs> Cut. yeah, God, <kind> of <laughs> and, <laughs> and
0: uh, here we were
2: at the. Uh, Dykman Hotel for a long time before we moved to the the Shillard Tower. And the day we were moving, um, we're carrying things in and out of the office, and I see Wally down in front of the safe. And I said, Wally, what uh, what are you doing? He said, Wally, I can't find the combination to the uh, safe. So he's looking through the thing, and I come back through again, and I I said, oh, Wally, you found the, um, uh, the combination. Oh, yeah, I pal. And I said, well, uh, what's in the safe? I don't know. He said the safe was on the outer wall, <laughs> and they moved it, so I don't know what's left and what's right.
1: <laughs> hey, Gary, so, uh, I mean, you obviously would have grown up with the AWA when, when your dad was directing and so forth. Let's get your insight about some Al, or some Al, some uh, Wally and Vern stories. What's your perspective on
3: Well, that? I started, my dad, as he had mentioned, uh, produced and directed at the Calum Beach Hotel when I was growing up as a little kid. You talk about lunch with Casey, that's a whole other segment. But uh, I would go hang out down at the, the TV studio at Calum Beach Hotel I think I was 10 or 11 years old and I started hustling cheeseburgers for the boys. There was a restaurant downstairs and, uh, these guys would tip me out pretty good. And I was 10, 11 years old. You go pick up 40, 50 bucks back then. Um, (laughs) it was a lot of money. And, uh, so I got to know the boys. I got to know the studio. Um, you know, I was kayfabe then, but I kind of knew, you know, at the point, but, uh, My first match was when we moved over to uh, uh, Golden Valley, Care 11 Studios, and uh, Marty O'Neill was there, and he took a bad bump. And Wally came up to me and said, hey, throw the shirt on. You've been around long enough. Just go make it look like you know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And at the time, my first match was uh, Ken Patera. And I can't remember who he was wrestling, one of the guys from Milwaukee or whatever. And he told me what the finish was. And I said, okay. So then I started doing the match. And then I saw my dad walk out as I was refereeing. And that was mean to go home because they didn't smarten me up. (laughs) Um, We ended the match. And Patera goes, here we go. And and told me he was going to go into the finish. So I counted one, two, three. And then my next match was Greg Ganya and Greg Ganya tried to kayfabe everybody. And so I went up to Greg and I said, the sleeper, he goes, what are you talking about? I said, your finish is the sleeper, right? He goes, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so then We get into the match and he puts the sleeper on and I go, you know, raise the arm, one, two, three, ring the bell. And I said, I told you, Greg, I go, I've been around a lot longer than you think. And so those were my two first matches, but it was Wally that came to me and threw me uh, Marty O'Neill's shirt and said, get in the ring. And I was 16 years old. Wow. And I did my last match, I think you were around, Joe, what, five, six years ago? At age 60, I could probably still get in there and get it done.
1: as good as
3: as far as Vern uh, the word perfection um, is a little bit kind I mean whether you had to do it his way and you know you you say okay you know back then we used to to say okay Vern we came up with this idea and then about 10-15 minutes later he'd come back hey I got an idea (laughs) and You're going, oh, wow, Vern, that's awesome. What, you know, how'd you come up with that? And my dad and I would just sit there to laugh at each other. And, you know, we worked Vern to get worked, to get done what we thought was creative and something new to bring to the table. So Wally, you could go on about Wally. We would take four weeks to get through all that. But I was very privileged and honored to be able to work with my dad side by side for all those years. And what he didn't bring up is that, Uh, we had what we called Assured Promotions. Um, So not only did he ring, announce, produce, and direct, and I refereed, but the one year uh, Al Darusha and Roger Kent had what they called Assured Promotions, our name backwards. At the time, I think we were PWP, Pro Wrestling Promotions, and we brought to a lot of communities uh, professional wrestling because the boys were sitting around during the week and not making any money. And so Roger Kent and my dad uh, ended up doing the one year we did over 93 specific towns. Um, Sioux Falls, Mankato, uh, Fargo, Eau, Claire, uh, Wisconsin, WEAU-TV. We did all these communities. And, you know, we were packing the house. I mean, we sold out the Rochester Mayo Clinic constantly. And then we ended up later in life, Joe, as you remember, I think you were around at the time we used to uh, do our television show down at the Mayo Clinic. Um, Mayo Civic Arena. What's that? Mayo Civic Arena. Mayo Civic Arena. Thank you. Um, So, you know, we could sit here and talk and talk, but, um, you know, that's how I broke into the business. And then we can talk later about going to the WWE, but at the end of the day, uh, I went to the WWE, and then I came back and helped. Uh, and that's when I kind of met you, Joe. We started the ESPN, and, you know, we brought we brought the AWA back to life again uh, on a major network, and And we could go on and on about that. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, the AWA was the breeding ground for a lot of professional wrestlers. And, you know, Vern Gagne, they, you know, you could – tell story upon story of all the boys that went out to his wrestling camp as my dad said you know he was an olympic wrestler but uh he was a shooter in camp you had to do i mean there's guys that went through two three times and he wouldn't take them on completely different than what the wwe does now but this was a shoot camp i mean rick flair went through it sergeant slaughter at the time was uh super um um uh super destroyer yeah so these guys um you know kurt henny uh they all went you know rick flair they they all went through this camp and if you didn't pass uh and you didn't know how to work uh it i mean it was a shoot and then they got into theatrics and then finally brad ringens took over and he had his wrestling camp and he went on to teach just like vern did and ended up teaching a lot of the Japanese wrestlers right here in Minneapolis. And so the, you know, the the condition of these guys back then uh, was unbelievable because Vern was that to that word, I guess we're catching on to was perfection. You know, Joel, you mentioned
2: uh, lunch with Casey, the number one rated kid show, uh, Uh, On television at the time, I also did like uh, Popeye and Pete with Dave Lee and uh, Sergeant Scotty, Outpost 11, we can go on and on. But Roundhouse uh, had a uh, limited prop closet. And the Crusher, before he would do his interviews, he'd say, hey, let's go and look at the, uh, the <laughs> prop closet. And I said, okay. So we went in as, <clears throat> and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, from uh, romper, uh, romper Room, we had an opening on the show with uh, a Jack in the Box. So the Crusher takes the Jack in the Box. He comes on for an interview, and he's... <clears throat> Turning that da 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 da, and he's he's singing. Uh, the Crusher t- uh, chased. At that time, he, Crusher uh, called Bobby Heenan the Weasel. That's how that whole thing started. And the Crusher would sing. The Crusher chased the Weasel around the ringside, and pop goes the Weasel, and that's how that actually started and uh, it went on from there and they had a weasel match and Bobby lost and Wally's uh, brother uh, was a tailor and he made the weasel suit and the rest was history when uh, we were in uh, one of my promotions in Eau Claire Wisconsin and uh, Bobby said, "Oh yeah, Eau Claire, Wisconsin. He said it's so small. They have uh, Baskin and Robbins only has
3: two flavors, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the um, the town's so small. If you fall down, you're halfway out of it. Yeah, and the
2: the town uh, the town is so small that uh, uh, you are entering and you are leaving on the same sign. And now oh, Bobby King, he had a." Uh, uh, The greatest sense of humor. He was so quick with his comebacks, but he would insult, you know, the town and then we would go there and I would introduce Bobby uh, and I would say in the manager, Bobby, the we uh, the brain, and and he'd go go and get all excited, don't, I don't want these farmers calling me uh, the weasel, if they call me the weasel, I'm not gonna wrestle, and blah, 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 so I'm doing the ring announcing, and I'd say, hey, please, don't call them the the weasel. weasel." So Bobby would turn his back to go to the corner, And I'd go like this to the fans, weasel, weasel. And he'd get all excited and uh, come running to me and I'd say, please don't call him the weasel. And he'd turn, weasel, weasel, yeah. (laughs) We did that in every town. It was, you know, we uh, and Bobby would run out of the ring and I'd say, okay, you got a 10 count to get into the ring. And he'd wait until about, seven, eight, and he'd come running and jump in the, in the uh, ring. Uh, one other quick story about the Crusher. He was a uh, tag team with Buck Rock and Roll Zumhoff. We were in New Orleans, Minnesota, the polka capital of the world, and uh, Buck always came out with his you know, rock uh, the rock and roll, you know, that kind of boom music, box. see, uh, you know, soothes my soul with the boom box. Yeah. Well, Crusher on his interviews used to always say, uh, you know, I dance with the dollies around ringside, so uh, I introduced uh, the Crusher first, and then Buck, rock and roll, zoom off, and Buck came in, and instead of rock and roll music, he had a polka. Yeah. On there. Everybody went nuts. And the Crusher would uh, grab uh, the dollies around ringside and dance. And oh, God, it was, we would do things like that on uh, on the spot shows, you know. And uh, the Crusher, uh, we all know, you know, how great he was. You know, he was from uh, South Milwaukee,
0: yeah. We're yeah.
2: In the packing house, true. And uh, he was just a great, great guy. At the end, he was in a senior uh, uh, home, you know, senior care. And uh, he and I would talk at least once a week, and uh, you know, talk about the old days. And uh, he, anyway, he was a great guy. Great. Yeah, I,
0: I, I want to ask you because you mentioned, you know, spot shows. What about your relationship with uh, Roger Kent and running spot shows with him?
2: Well, I knew Roger way back. You know, he was uh, had a uh, outdoor uh, hunting fishing show. He had a pilot license. He flew his own plane, and he'd go to uh, you know a resort or a fishing camp or something, <clears throat> and uh, do a film and bring it back for on his show. And I directed his show for four or five years. And um, we were, you know, pretty close friends. Uh, I remember the one time on the show, Roger uh, was going to demonstrate uh, how to uh, uh, portage with the canoe and he picks up the canoe and puts it on his shoulders and falls on his teaster. On the air. <laughs> Wally and I and Roger Kent went to the Wisconsin governor's, uh, fishing open and, uh, Roger, uh, brought up his, uh, boat that said, Roger Kent, outdoor sportsman, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, it, it was raining that day, and Wally and I and Roger spent a little too much time in, uh, in the bar <laughs> waiting for it to stop raining. And anyway, Roger said, God, i got to go and take some uh, film of the governor for my show. And uh, uh, we, did, we got in Roger's boat and went there, and there's the governor waiting for Roger, and he's waving, and Roger, but I not so i said roger is that film gonna turn out i asked him later he said i don't know i didn't put the film in the damn camera (laughs) yeah uh roger you know uh was in the marine corps and uh, uh had his um uh what do they call it uh, special forces
3: or yeah something like something like
2: that he he produced a radio show when he was in the marine corps and anyway suffice to say uh, my relationship with Roger and of course throughout the the taping of wrestling and our uh promotions and uh, so we were together a lot of uh, uh you know many Uh, many days. On our, on our promotion, I would go, we would take turns. I would go to like Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And, uh, my son, uh, uh, Glenn came along and Gary came and refereed. My brother George sold tickets. It was kind of a family affair, if you will. And, uh, Speaking of Eau Claire, Wisconsin, the Crusher was uh, the main event. Um, I had all of the the Mad Dog, Jesse Ventura, uh, all the big names, uh, Ric Flair, you name it. Uh, they, like Gary said earlier, they were uh, only wrestling in the, the big major markets on the weekend. And uh, I would uh, book matches uh, Uh, maybe two, three in a row in South Dakota, North Dakota, Iowa, Wisconsin. Anyway, we were in um, Eau Claire. And, uh, oh, yeah, that's up in Winnipeg, Canada. I had just uh, got out of uh, the hospital. Uh, I had back surgery, and that's when Gary took over to produce the shows. And they put me, this is in Winnipeg, and they were adjusting my back. But you can see <laughs> Nick Blackwinkle, the mad dog, and uh, Jerry, Jerry Fatwell. Fat and that, uh, that, was, that was fun. But anyway, back to Claire, it was a complete sellout, like almost all the time. And But I'll say one thing about the crusher. He went out in the parking lot and walked through all the fans shaking their hands, thanking them for coming, and, you know, we'll see you next time. And, you know, was, uh, Crush was great. He he was great.
1: So we, we mentioned him a little bit earlier, and, and uh, Al, I know that uh, you go back with him, but I want to start with Gary on this one. Sure. Um, the, uh, the legendary AWA interviewer and announcer, Marty O'Neill. Um, fantastic athlete in his day. What do you remember about Marty O'Neill from those younger days, Gar?
3: Well, growing up, he, I mean, he would just, you talk about Mean Gene and his, the way he was able to keep the tempo. Um, back then, we, they would do interviews for each different, as my dad said, you'd make it localized, same matches, but you would do town after town after town and my my memory of Marty O'Neill was well. First of all, it's we always say Marty O'Neill it's the <laughs> Crusher. Um, but when I was a little kid, uh, I remember Marty O'Neill was interviewing. They were going to do an interview with um, uh, Larry the Axe Henning at yeah. the time, and he was facing Doctor X, and. Uh, Marty O'Neill came up with the idea again. One of the props, there was the, the the Ribbit Ribbit. Was that was that the axe or was that that was the crusher? No, the Ribbit was uh, Dick Byers, Dick Byers, Doctor X. X, And Marty O'Neill said, "Well, no." And this was live. He said, "We're going to put juice in the in the frog," and it was live. And all I had to do is back to the weasel thing, is I had to come up. I had I was that little. I sat in there and I opened the hood. And I went ribbit, ribbit, and I put it <laughs> back down. And that was Marty O'Neill's uh, idea. Came up with that at that time. But the when I was watching him, he constantly and consistently put everybody over. Yep. Uh, he never, you know, he, he would make the leading questions, but he on a consistent basis he would. I mean, Mean Gene was awesome. But Mean Gene also learned from Marty O'Neill. And Marty O'Neill at the time was the perfect announcer because he was little, made the guys look bigger, and, you know, he would just, he, no preconceived script, no nothing. He'd just go out there and get it done. And you can, you know, Marty O'Neill was, you, you can't say, I mean, I was fortunate to be little and growing up around it, and uh, that's what I remember was about him and, and his, you know, his, his consistency and his professionalism to put everybody over. Yeah. Well, Marty's thing was,
2: I'm not, it's all about the wrestler. Right. It's not about me. Yeah. The first time I met uh, Marty was in uh, October of 1953 Uh, He was doing a St. Paul Saints baseball. And at that, back then, uh, the announcers didn't travel with the league. They did the um, um, broadcast on ticker tape uh, with um, uh, sound effects records. And Marty would sit there and they had a bat hanging from the ceiling and Marty would call the ref, uh, the uh, baseball and you would think that he was right there at the park. He was a master at it. They would bring up a rec, uh, sound effects, uh, beer here, cold beer, cold beer you cold know, beer. and uh, he mm-hmm. would uh, he would do the play-by-play, and when they uh, had a hit, he would bang the, the bat with a little club, and anyway, uh, he... I met Marty in nineteen fifty-three, and then when Channel when uh, the AWA came to Channel Eleven, um, Marty uh, was doing the uh, wrestling. Just a little bit history of the AWA. It started back in uh, the uh, late forties, early fifties on WCCO Channel Four. Then they moved to the uh, Fochet Tower uh, on Channel 9. And then from the Fochet Tower, they moved to uh, uh, the Calhoun Beach Hotel. That was in 1953. So uh,
3: it goes back a long, a long ways. Um, last, or last Tuesday is kind of a blur to me. And he's talking about the 50s. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I wasn't even born yet. <laughs> I mean,
2: and there's, yeah. a, there's a
0: lot, there's a lot of iconic, like what he's talking about. Those I could not
2: mention uh, the sodbuster. I mean, when you think about it, there, he, uh, well, you've probably read the stories of um, Patrick Royce. He did a real nice uh, write-up on him. And uh, he he titled it Sodbuster Kenny J knew his job <laughs> and did it very capably. And uh, again, Marty O'Neill coined uh, the phrase "capable Kenny, Kenny, Kenny J." And uh, he uh, every wrestler that he faced on television, they would uh, you know. Uh, Give uh, uh, give something back to uh, to the sodbuster. You know they, they they bury him and beat him up. They they let him. He looked pretty good, and and then of course the finish he would you know he always lose, but uh, everybody loved Kenny. In fact, uh, he uh, had his uh, lawn service with his uh, son. And uh, he had the contract at the church right up here, and every time I'd go, uh, like twice a week, he'd be out there cutting the grass and hay. Oh, you know, uh, he was a great guy. Very so I, I had to get that in,
1: and and well deserved for Kenny. Um, again, I mean, we're, we're talking about earlier. Just uh, what a sad period of time in uh, last week or couple of weeks ago from when you, you'll see this podcast, but, uh, yeah, we're losing them too quick. Um, but let's get Can back. I follow a to follow up, up
2: on Kenny J. Sure. The big thing, you know, and it's highlighting his whole career was when he went to Chicago yeah. to, uh, for the Muhammad Ali, uh, deal Wally, myself, uh, Kenny J and they brought Bobby Heenan in too to do interviews the way he would do it and you know promote the matches. But <clears throat> we're at the uh, Chicago Amphitheater, and uh, Muhammad Ali uh, uh, arrives with his entourage, mm-hmm. and uh, in uh, they had the uh, big high doors where you could come in the the basement of the of the uh, building. Anyway, in comes three uh, limos. The one le- front limo guys got out looking around. Middle one, out comes Muhammad Ali, and the one in the back, he had you know bodyguards. But Muhammad came into the dressing room, and he was one of the biggest wrestling fans. He spent. I, I'm not, I bet he spent an hour and a half talking with all the wrestlers and uh, uh, talking with Nick Bockwinkel and Bobby Heenan. And he was just a
3: great guy. Uh, well, he watched a lot of uh, wrestling interviews to be able to create a character for himself and be able to talk right. and do his own interviews. That's where he picked it up from. Yeah. Uh, with, uh, um, who was the, um, the guy
2: before Jesse superstar Uh, Billy Graham, superstar Billy Graham, superstar Billy Graham, you know, he did all that. And, uh, Muhammad picked up on that. About two weeks after Chicago, my wife and I were in uh, Las Vegas at a lounge show and, uh, um, the uh uh the guy Muhammad that Lee. did Blueberry Hill and what the heck is Blueberry his? Hill. Uh That's Domino. that a shame Blueberry Hill, That's you guys are too young. No. <laughs> anyway, he <laughs> said uh, a very good friend of mine uh is here tonight and I want to recognize him. And they turned the house lights on, and it was Muhammad Ali and his people and they were sitting right behind me and uh muhammad's uh uh advance man like al hey was less than two weeks he said uh come on up after uh the show here and uh, uh you know you and your wife are welcome we went up uh to muhammad's uh uh, sweet and there he was tending bar and laughing and having a great time and he recalled Chicago and and uh, what a great treat to meet all the wrestlers and my wife and I Marlene we stayed for a couple of drinks I didn't want to wear out my welcome so we we got took off you know and uh, uh, it, um, uh, that was a great uh, and I should have got his autograph, and I didn't.
1: <laughs> well, there's, you know, we, we, as we progress through the time in the AWA, we've got Marty O'Neill and Roger Kent. Um, there's another gentleman who did all right for himself. And, Al, you had a very big hand in him starting his professional wrestling career. Um, in the early days, he was known as Gene Leader. Oh, that- Gene but, uh, we know him as Gene Okerlund. Tell the story about how you helped train me and Gene well, Okerlund. My last uh,
2: five years at uh, Channel 11, I was in sales, selling television time. Account executive was the big deal. Anyway, Gino uh came uh, from uh, what? W- W-D-G-Y. WDGY. He Gene was leader. a disc jockey. Uh, and he had the drive time, uh, and you're heading home with your leader, Gene, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So he came to uh, um, Channel 11, and he had some experience selling radio time. Anyway, make a long story short, he joined the uh, uh, the sales team, and uh, he and I were well. Uh, uh,
3: our
2: my kids and his kids all grew up together. Got and, and tour. Yeah, and uh, the station uh, went on strike. The announcers and uh, Marty O'Neill, uh, of course, was a union member, and. Uh, Roger Kent was a union member, and uh, Vern came to me and said, geez, Al, we've got i got to get somebody to do the interviews. And I said, I got the guy for you. Who? I said, uh, Gene Okerlund. Gene Okerlain. I said He said, well, yeah, isn't he a, a disc jockey or whatever? I, okay. So I, he said, does he know anything about wrestling? I said, he doesn't need to know a whole hell of a lot about wrestling. The guy is short, you know, in stature, like Barbie <laughs> O'Neill, had a great voice like Roger Kent. And <clears throat> so I went up to Gene's uh, cabin up in uh, north, uh, uh, northern Minnesota, <clears throat> and we spent the weekend uh, uh, rehearsing, doing interviews, you know, whatever. And Gene would stand in front of the, the mirror and do his facial, whatever. Anyway, uh, he, uh, he made it. Uh, he was different than Marty. As we said earlier, Marty said the main attraction or the main in the interview is the wrestler. Uh, where Gene would, you know, uh, insert some, whatever, humor. And uh, it was Jesse Ventura who named him Mean Gene Okerlund. But uh, anyway, that's the story about Gene. and that's how he started. And I got him started in wrestling and the rest is history. And, uh, you know.
1: It's easy to say, and I think um... – uh, much like we were talking about Vern and perfection, and maybe perfection wasn't the optimal word for Vern, character, a character for me, and Gene Okerland, yeah. um, might be an understatement. Gary, you had plenty of opportunities to work with Gene, and I know you've got stories. Well, the ones that we can share are the ones exactly, that are... Exactly, exactly. So if you think... a lot of stories that I don't
3: think people would believe, but... Okay, take us,
1: take us home on now, well, this episode. When,
3: when, my, when my dad got injured and you saw the picture, um, and I was always at the studio, uh, I be, then became uh, the, the producer and do, you know, I learned from my dad, so obviously I knew what I was doing. And we would do the interviews over at uh, channel nine uh, over on uh, York Avenue, which is no longer there. Um, and now Fox nine, but uh, we would go over there on Tuesdays. And again, uh, you know, we had the backdrop and we had Gene Okerlund was there and we just, I mean, he, he was the new generation of Marty O'Neill, if you yeah, will. Right. He brought, you know, as my dad said, he did a lot of, uh, you know, interacting with them. But it was the the start of the entertainment was the interviews. And Gene did, I mean, the Massa Saito interviews, the famous interview of uh, him trying on Andre the Giant's coat. That was never planned or talked about. Okerlund was talking to Andre and Andre was telling him, you know, how big he was. And out of the blue, Okerlund says, hey, well, do you mind if I try on your jacket? <laughs> and he put it on, and it draped over him like, you know, a tarp. And we used that video forever. And then uh, when, later on in time, one of the best interviews he did that was non-scripted, just went out there and did it. Uh, my dad and Mad Dog were in the back room of Channel 9. Oh, yeah. And there was it was the death match between... Uh, Mad Dog and Jerry Blackwell. Fatwell. Jerry Fatwell. This is the death match. And then, so, Mad Dog and my dad put together, you know, props. There was some, you know, plywood, and we lined up paint on the back of the door, and um, Gino came in, Okerland oh, yeah. came in after we had it set, and Mad Dog was there banging on the table, and it was probably one of the most classic interviews you'll ever see. And I, I know it's out there, Joe. You yeah, probably. Well, I've, I've got a copy of it. <laughs> but that was Okerland just, you know, bringing out the entertainment um, based off of what my dad and Mad Dog talked about again. Vern wasn't around so we didn't have to ask permission we just get it (laughs) I'll beg for forgiveness not permission and again one of the most classic interviews you'll ever see uh back in the time uh and Gino made it sound like he was walking down and found him in the dungeon and I mean it's a classic interview so uh Okerlund too had that that momentum and he had that you know, that professionalism to stay there. I mean, we would record for, you know, all day long and we'd take a lunch break, but Okerlund was, you know, these guys get to get off the set and rest for a minute, you know, until they come up again. But Okerlund was there constantly. Yeah. <clears throat> um, you couldn't smoke in the studio, but we kind of made it okay. And then right behind the stay or right behind the the flat, we had a little stand with uh Ockerland's uh, cigarettes, and we got permission from the studio. You know, I mean, we're going to be here all day, and you know, we're renting the place, and we want one guy to be able to smoke. And uh, so Ockerland, between the sets, he'd take a couple of drags, put it out, get back on, da da da, da, da. I mean, he would go nonstop. Yeah, I call the mean Gene, <laughs> the interview machine.
2: <clears throat> I believe we are like in twenty-two or twenty-four markets and we had to do uh, four interviews with each wrestler for each market. So we would start early in the morning and like Gary said, you go all day long and Gino just, well, uh, Gary mentioned a couple of drags on a cigarette and, Gino uh, sometimes had a couple of drags on uh, something else, but
3: <laughs> <laughs> that, we'll leave that
2: go. Yeah. That uh, kept them, uh, going. Get them going. We talked <laughs> uh, about the uh, Andre, the giant, you know, uh, when he would come in for the battle Royals and uh, he would, uh, you know, hit every major market. But uh I was fortunate enough to have him on a couple of uh, my promotions of uh, bigger um, venues and uh, we would have Andre and uh, uh, a, right. battle, a battle battle Royal. Uh, Vern uh, f- uh, had a friend uh, um, who was a coach uh, at the high school in uh, near um, Waverly. I'm trying to think of the name of the Uh, town.
3: Yeah. Uh, Uh, Anyway, I'll come up with it. Yeah. Uh,
2: The giant would ride with me to some of my towns that where he was booked, and we were coming through Waverly, uh, Minnesota, and uh, the uh, giant was out of beer. And hey, boss! He called everybody boss. <laughs> we got to stop for a beer. I said, "Okay." Well, so we went and stopped. It was in January, cold, and wind was blowing and snowing. And we pulled into the municipal liquor store, and uh, uh, the giant comes in. Andre, all he ever wore was a sport coat. He and Mad Dog, and you can imagine it's like about 1130 quarter to 12 and the door opens up and shit, the snow in the wind. And there were some people in the uh, bar, of course, and it was like a scene out of a John Wayne movie and everybody, Andre, the bartender, Andre, the giant. Oh my God. He couldn't believe it. And, uh, so, uh, the uh, giant says, uh, hey, boss, I'll have a beer and a shot of Calvasier, and because that's what he always drank, you know. And then finally he says to the bartender, hey, uh, I want a case of beer. And uh, he said, oh, gee, he said, I, I you know, Minnesota, you can't sell beer after 10 o'clock. Oh, all right, okay, blah, blah, blah. So... Well, you know, the fans that were in there would buy an Andre a drink. And anyway, mega long story short, uh, the bartender says, What are you driving? And I said, That international scout out there. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So we get ready to leave and we uh, walk out. We'd get uh, to my car and Giant get gets in and there on the front seat of the, the, the uh, car. Is a case of beer. So the, <laughs> from, from Waverly to the uh, Dykeman Hotel, that's where Andre stayed, he drank that whole case of beer. And I don't think it's what, maybe an hour and a half? If that. If that. Wow. The beer was gone.